where we won't let the industry tell us what to do, and your success will come in many forms and fashions. This is Real Estate Your Way. Welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Your Way. Everybody, we are so excited. We've got Aaron Amuchastegui with us today, and you are going to love learning from him. And Mark and I are going to love learning from him. So we're just so excited you joined us once again. Mark, how are you doing this week, man? I, I want to jump right in, but how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Garrett? Thank you for asking. You, you never <laughs> ask, <laughs> but I appreciate it. I'm, I'm so excited, man. I mean, Aaron, I had the pleasure of being on Aaron's podcast a few months ago and have since learned from him and learned more about him and, and genuinely just think very, very highly of Aaron, not only as a business owner and an entrepreneur, but as a man and a father and a husband and has done a lot of things that my wife and I are hoping to do with our kids as well. So super excited for y'all to get to know him today. Let me read a quick bio and then we will introduce you to Aaron. Aaron Amuchastegui is a husband and father of four, a real estate entrepreneur. He hosts the Real Estate Rockstars podcast, which is phenomenal. Check it out. He compiles foreclosure data and teaches people to become investors with Roddy's foreclosure listing service. We'll put all these links in the show notes. And has bought and sold more than a thousand investment flip homes. And at HomeRock, they own and manage hundreds of rental homes. His recent book, Bidding to Buy, is a bestseller published by Bigger Pockets. I'm sure all of our audience knows about Bigger Pockets if you don't check it out. As part of the entrepreneurial spirit, he and his wife pulled their kids out of school years ago to focus on real war, world education. And together, they're the best-selling authors of the five-hour school week and inspirational homeschool guide. I'm going to check that out. My, parent, my, my children will be glad if I learn how to do the five-hour school week and they'll have fun as we travel the world as well. But Aaron, man, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Welcome. We are so excited to have you. Dude, what a way to make a guy feel welcome and excited to bring my best too for, for you and for your listeners. That's, that's a good trick, right? You make people feel awesome about themselves and they are going to bring their best. So thank you for such a great intro. That's true. I, the truth is, I don't like you, but you know, I, I need you to bring it. I need, <laughs> it sounds know. good. Yeah, yeah it no, sounds, it sounds good. good. Yeah, that's what I do, man. <laughs> well, Aaron, man, thanks for coming on, brother. Yeah, I, obviously, I read your bio, but man, kind of just give us the story. You were telling Mark and I a little bit uh, when we weren't recording here right before we jumped in, but tell us a little of your story and how you got to where you are, then we'll dive in. Yeah, we got, man, the, the little story is a long story that we try to, <laughs> that we try to tuck in and make it small because, but it's important. It's important to figure out how, how we get where we are because the life I get to live today is amazing. Right. And, and so many people get to go, oh, you're, you're so lucky. Right. Um, that's really common when you, for any of you listeners, as you reach different levels of success, everybody's going to see the success that you have now and go, wow, you're so lucky that you got there. And understanding that there was a lot of, a lot of effort, a lot of pain and a lot of failure that gets us there. You know, when it comes to like doing real estate your way or business your way, you know, I, I grew up new and I wanted to be in, in, I wanted to flip houses. I wanted to be in construction. My dad was a builder. I graduated uh, from Cal Poly construction management at like the top of my class in 2005, which was the housing boom, the best time ever to get a degree in construction because we were selling houses so quick. So fresh out of college, I get, I'm paying, getting paid over six figures. We are golfing a couple days a week. As soon as we're building the houses, they're selling. It was like a very unfair expectation of what life was going to be like. <laughs> My wife and I get married. We have a baby right away. You know, we, we, we have our baby 11 months after our wedding and wow. the, and, and then the housing market crashes. And I didn't know what a housing market crash was like at, at that time. All of a sudden our houses wouldn't sell. And then it wasn't just that they weren't selling. It was like there was foreclosures everywhere. And this whole business that I had built myself to be involved in was like obsolete now. 
Oh, like wow. we went from building tons of houses to where you couldn't build a house anymore. You couldn't sell the ones you have. Um, and you're like, what am I, what am I going to do with the, like the goals and the stuff that I, that I have, we were trying, then we were like, Oh, let's buy foreclosures. And, it, and so that's 2009 and we would write offer. It's, it feels a lot like the market now in the sense that a house would get listed and we'd write a full price cash offer on it within moments of it getting listed. And they'd already sold it to their friend. Wow. There was like no way to get in. And so as real estate agents right now are feeling the same thing, like you write a hundred offers on, uh, we did this last week, we wrote cash offers on everything on the market. And like one or two people call us back and the rest of them were like, dude, we had 29 offers. You've lost. Wow. It's wild. So, so 2009, now we're, now it's also like going broke instead of getting paid 130 grand a year, I'm getting paid 50 grand a year. My wife now with baby and pregnant with baby number two becomes a waitress at a casino at night. So I would come home, she would hand me our baby and she would go work as a waitress at the casino in Northern California. We would see each other like a couple hours a day during that period of our life. The, we had like a six or nine month stretch of like, what do we do next? I tried to start like a real estate data company where I would do this analysis and say, these are the places that you should go try to invest. Well, that didn't really go anywhere. I had an AutoCAD drafting company and that didn't go anywhere. And then somehow we discovered this like buying houses on the courthouse steps business. Um, and it was like, we, we call it like going a little bit further upstream. So when something's listed on REO, the bank foreclosed on it, no one bid on it. Now they put it on MLS. Now you have a bunch of buyers. A lot of people don't realize before that step, there's this chance to buy houses on the courthouse steps in 2009. There was no class on how to do it. No one was doing it. No one really knew how we read these loan documents to see how it would work. We were kind of curious about it because at that time there was like realty track and some websites were like starting to think about selling the data. Um, we read these loan documents. We saw what it would be like. We showed up to our first auction and we kind of watched it for a couple of days. And there were three guys at these auctions, hundreds of houses selling and three guys standing there. And we'd go ask them questions and they would like ignore us. us. They did not want us there, right? There's hundreds of houses selling and there's three guys that know how to do this in Northern California. One of the foreclosure hotspots. We ended up uh, figuring out how to buy a house the next week. Opening bid comes out and the guy goes, you know, 124,000. We go, yeah, we want to bid. And he goes, a penny over? We say, yeah, we'd like to bid a penny over. And uh, and he goes, going once, going twice, sold. And the other three guys go like, oh my God. So our hearts stopped. We're like, that was all the money we had. Like everybody had pooled their money together for this. The guys that I was, I was working with, like, are you kidding? And, and we're like, did we buy a second? Did we do something? Because we heard all these scary stories and they wouldn't tell us anything. Right. They're like, you're screwed. So our long story short was we weren't screwed. We bought the house. It became a good flip. All of a sudden we were back in business. We bought it for 120, sold it for 170. Now we were one of those people putting something on the market and getting the 20 offers uh, for it. I was able to then my dad became my business partner. When my second daughter was born six weeks early, I was staring at her in the hospital. My, again, my wife was pregnant, working at the casino, had the baby way too early because she was on her feet all day. And that was my moment where I was like, this is crazy. I, I quit my job. I said, I need to do this for myself. Now I need to provide better for my family than my wife having to be work nights at a casino. I'm going to go do this on my own, um, which there were definitely some, some pros and cons to that. It almost didn't work the way God works out as it did work out, right? I had like six weeks of savings. Uh, after about six weeks of not buying a house, I told my wife, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go try to get my job back or go get a job from somebody because this isn't working if I don't buy a house this week. Somehow that week I buy, I ended up buying two houses two days later. Like it was just a fluke deal. I kept showing up every day for six weeks, bought a couple houses and we were off to the races. 
The next three years after that, that quickly led to, oh, we're the only game in town. We had some investors. We had people reach out to us wanting to invest in us. The, we flipped a thousand houses over the next three years. I took our experience from being a contractor and bring it into that. Most of the other house flippers at the time were like, hey, we want to make like 50 grand a house. I looked at it on like a nationalized thing. Like, hey, if somebody doesn't give me a million dollars, if I can get them a 15% annual return, this is pretty good. The reason I go into all that, because that's not really the business my way part. The, in 2013, by the end of like 2012, 2013, I had like dozens and dozens of employees and company cars. And I really wanted to make this really cool business. And everybody had medical insurance and things like that. But uh, I, so I was trying to build this really cool business as I was high, every time I'd make an extra $10,000 a month on something, I would hire more people because I really wanted this big, cool business. 2013, a bunch of people got into the market. A big company offered to kind of buy me out and say, go work for them. I was like, I don't need to work for you. I'm going to be fine. We got put out of business that year. We got put out of business that year because I had a hundred thousand dollars a month in overhead wow. and I couldn't buy houses anymore because we had competition. So I, beginning of the year, I had like a million dollars in savings. And my family was good. And I'd gotten us out of that. By the end of the year, we were broke. Mm. We were broke. And I, I was like, I asked my wife, I said, I need you to move some money from your real estate account so I can hit payroll. And she goes, I don't have any money left in my account. And I said, what? So I remember having to tell everybody like, we're done. We're closed up. And when you go from making over a million dollars one year to make to losing it the next year and then not, I was applying to go be a building inspector for the city of Napa. I was like trying to figure out to, how to go back and do that normal job. The biggest life changes then over that next year was like, so what are we going to do? My wife and I looked back and said, if we ever had another chance, if we, if man, how stupid we were with our money. We were like, man, we had so much money. Why were we so wasteful? Why didn't we donate it to the right things? Why, why did we buy stupid things that we can't pay our mortgage with now? Right. Why did we spend it on all that stupid stuff? If we ever had another chance, man, we would do experiences over things instead because no one can take memories away from us. Man, we would be more generous. We would be more kind. We wouldn't be so cocky. We were very cocky people when that was happening. We didn't have God in our life. We didn't have anything like that in our life. It was just a very like, hey, we did this. And by when we went broke, our family was also like crashing and colliding at the time. Over that like next 18 months, couple years, we learned our lesson, right? We like, we found, my wife and I found our faith you know, and the faith that our, our faith in God is what really helped get us through it. We got to focus on that. And we kept saying, if we ever got another chance, man, we were going to do it different next time. And the, and kind of our prayers got answered and, and, and they listened. So about 18 months in, I'm like, still, what am I going to do? Am I going to go get a job? How am I going to make any of this work? And I, uh, I had bought an apartment complex out in Texas back in, in, in during the good times. I still owned it. And the lady that sold it to me said, Hey, do you want to buy this other apartment complex? I looked at the title report and it said it was scheduled for foreclosure on the title report. And I thought, that's weird. How do Texas foreclosures work? Well, instead of buying it from you guys, maybe I'll fly out to the auction and go buy it. So that time I like bought my Southwest ticket. I told my, like I had a line of credit that I could go buy it, but it was like, still, I didn't want to spend even 500 bucks on this trip. I flew out there, went to auction. The attorney read the sale for the, for the hotel, for the apartment. And I got cold feet. I got scared. And I was like, I can't actually, uh, I can't do this. So I didn't buy the house. And I call my wife and I'm embarrassed because I'm like, I could have bought it and I didn't. And, she, and she's like, stress, we just spent 500 bucks for me to be out there. But while I was talking to her, another attorney shows up and he starts selling houses and he sells like 30 or 40 houses and nobody was bidding on them at all. 
when I got put out of business in California, I started when there was three bidders for a hundred houses. When I got put out of business, there was a hundred bidders for three houses. Like there was no way I could buy a house anymore. But I got out to Texas in 2015 and there was no one at that auction and hundreds of houses sold. I thought, oh my God, this is my second chance. This is like 2009 all over again. And, um, and that, so the next month I flew out there a few days early. I drove houses. I uh, went to auction. I bought two houses that very first auction for my flips. The, I sold them before the next auction made 40 or $50,000 again on the flips. And when you go from making millions to making zero, to being willing to take a job again for like 45,000 a year. And then you get your first flips to work out again. It was like, Oh my gosh. So this, this time became our different deal. We started giving away 30% of our income along the way. We were better with our money and how we did it. When I rebuilt this business, there were two books that really changed my life. One was the, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and the miracle morning by Hal Elrod. And I, when I first do the Miracle Morning, that was both like getting up early and trying to get stuff done and also helping me get over a little bit of the, um, like I was depressed when I had lost it all. I'd really started doing that stuff before I found the stuff again. Miracle Morning and the four-hour work, we kind of helped me piece my business together that was closing that I wasn't getting paid for anymore. So when I got to restart, it was like we were going to do it a lot more efficient this time, focusing on like meditation and God and processes and then using those four-hour work week methods to work really, really efficiently. So I get up at like four, I do my miracle morning type stuff. I'd work between like six and eight in the morning. And then I was pretty much done with my day because I would follow those practices. And now because we had almost lost our family before, the rest of the day was focused on family time. My wife and I pulled our kids out of school. Uh, we had some things that led up to that with like they were going to school and it kind of felt like things weren't working. Now we had changed everything else. And by design, we said, let's pull them out of school and start living this experiences over things. None of this is promised forever. Like, hey, we're doing well financially again. None of this is promised forever. Let's go make the most of it. Let's go do a lot of experience with our, with our kids. Let's go take them around the world. Let's teach them the stuff that's important to us, how to live with less instead of live with more. We started going to Haiti and Cuba and places like that. Um, the other smart thing I did this time was I started buying rentals. So I remember looking back and going, I sold a thousand houses and I've got nothing to show for it. Like I had a huge company and I have nothing to show. If I would have just kept 10% of those houses or 5% of those houses, I would have never had to work again. 2015 to now, we bought about 350 houses. So every month we'd buy some, we'd flip some and then refinance the others and keep them as rentals. When COVID hit, my flipping company completely got shut down. I wasn't able to make that income anymore. But the cool thing was we had those rentals this time. So I actually didn't have to work during COVID. Our tenants, most of them were paying their rent. And so that was that big definite. I remember going in like 2012, 2013, I should have just kept some of that. I should have been ready for a crisis because if I had just kept 10% of the house, I would have been ready for everything. We changed that to like long-term wealth and income. So now this crisis hit and we were like, oh, this will just be time with our family. I know Mark, you talked about going on a road trip a few months ago. We bought an RV. We went around the country. We hit 17 states. We started doing things to make the most of it because there wasn't as much we could do. So the... I know that's a long 15 minute intro of how we got here, but hopefully there's so much to unpack there. We'll be able to talk about it for however long you want. <laughs> I like, think we could literally end it right now. I've had chills just listening to your story. And uh, yeah. And, and the, I think what's cool too is Aaron, you, you talked about the beginning. Everyone says, well, oh, you, how lucky to be where you are. I, what I didn't <laughs> hear is luck. What I heard was resilience, right? The challenge is that you, you, you got hit, you got knocked down, you got back up, you tried something else. It didn't work. 
you tried something else and all along the way you were learning. And so I wanted to go into that, like how you, how you had that resilience, but also one of the things that stuck out to me was just, I, I love the thought that, okay, you were, you were on top of the world, right? You were, had such an awesome business and then all of a sudden, guess what? You lost it all and you figure out a way to build it again. But what you learned and what you took away was none of this is worth it compared to, I'm not going to sacrifice my family again. I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of some success, whatever that looks like. I'm going to figure out a way. And this is something that Mark and I connect a lot on. And this is some one of the things I'm so passionate about with our training company is I figured out a way. Now, I'm not that awesome yet. <laughs> I'm working on it. But I figured out a way how to sell a lot of homes that do it in under 40 hours a week because I want to spend time with my family. That's what really matters at the end of the day. And one of the things I appreciate about you, Aaron, among many things, but the reality that you figured out how to have this big business and big life but do it in a way that was quick, you know, not, it didn't happen over and I don't hear me say that, but you could do it in a way that's very highly efficient. And then guess what? You get to give your best energy, your best time to your family, to your kids. And, and man, that's more important than anything else. So talk about that. How did you find that resilience going from all these struggles and ups and downs? And how do you just keep going? Right? Cause if you don't stop, no one can, at the end of the day, you're the one that decides if you're going to fail or not. Cause if you just keep trying, eventually you're going to figure it out. How did you have that resilience? Walk us through that. Yeah, in 2013, 2014, it was just plain hard. Like so much of that resilience was just one foot in front of the other. And it was trying not to actually think about how bad some of it was. And it was just focusing on like what you can do. And there's points in all of our businesses, like especially like last March, April, and everything closed down and nobody was quite sure what was going to happen yet. Sometimes, Sometimes resilience for me is just one foot in front of the other going like, just give this time and do everything I can today. And sometimes everything I can today was like, wake up, take my kids to school, like feed them, hang out with them and, and love them. One of the other things that happened, like, you know, so you sure get humbled in like when you go from having it all to losing it all. And then you sure feel stupid when you're, when you're on top of the world, you feel like you're brilliant. When you lose it all, you sure get humbled to go like, how brilliant are you really? Like, so you thought you were pretty awesome but man, and then there was also the guilt of going like, how could I let my family down? Like if I would have been like a little bit more humble a year ago and not maybe thought I was, you know, brilliant forever that, that my family would be way better off right now. So there's also that guilt of like letting them down. And so 2012, we're on top of the world. We're thinking of being flashy, being cool, having money. It's the most important thing in the world. 2013, 2014, when you lose all that and you almost lose your family, you like, no, I was no longer like, man, I wish I had my money back. It was like, man, I hope I could save my marriage and my kids. I can't imagine like sharing my kids on Christmas. Like that was not what, what I wanted uh, to be doing. So you get that like near the end of, before we actually discovered my new market, when we were still very much struggling financially, one foot in front of the other, but my wife and I were happy again and loved each other. And had a good relationship with our kids again, it became like, I don't care if I ever get rich again. I don't care if I'm ever successful again. I almost lost out on this and I can't believe I almost lost out on this. I can't believe I took this part for granted. So hmm. some of the resilience at the beginning is one foot in front of the other. The other is the lessons that we get to learn of what's really, really important. And I really feel like that when, t- when, t- when times are tough, all of us should try to focus on what lesson am I, am I supposed to learn from this? And I believe when, when the lesson is, is learned, 
God provides that opportunity again. The world provides that opportunity again. And then you get to go apply it. And then we had a chance to put our money where our, our mouth was on it. The, the, the lessons that we got to learn too is when it started to get better, when it did get to start to get better, we did not take that for granted this time. It was like, oh my gosh. Like, oh my gosh, we have this chance. Oh my gosh, we're going to stick by that. And the, and it still is like, we had to remind ourselves a little bit in 2011, 2012, working 50, 60 hours a week for both my wife and I, she was the agent that sold all my houses. I would buy them. Like we were both working and nannies were raising our kids. And when, when uh, we also got that back too, or when I was like, Hey, I mean, we're doing well in Texas. You need to become my agent. My wife's like, I am not going to come work for you again. We are not doing that again. Like I'm going to manage the house. I'm going to support you in your business. You're going to do even better because of that. Remember, we're not going to redo these old uh, mistakes that we made last time. So I'll tell everybody, she is way more brilliant than I am. Yeah, she's way more brilliant than I am. We all share this. I see another common thread in our lives because I know Garrett and, 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 and myself. So that's awesome. Yeah. How do you, so Aaron, I, I heard on that too, and, and I'm really fascinated by, th- by this because, so you made a create, you created a successful business, it failed, then you created another one, right? It could be easy to look at that and say, well, you just, you knew how to do it, so you did it again. Well, the second time, it sounds like you created a business around that would work with your purpose in life, you, you, the purpose for your family, the focus for your family, the mission for your family, whatever that was. And it's a completely different mindset, I imagine, that you had the second time, it sounds like, going in than you did the first time. How do you do that? How, how do you create a business that is going to work for the purpose of your family, that is going to say, I'm going to create this big business and it's going to fit in with how I want to live my life? How do you do that? Where do you start with something like that? Yeah, I think, I mean, when you first start the business, first you got to figure out how it's all going to work, right? So at the beginning, a lot of the time is I'm doing all of it. When I bought those first houses in in Texas, I drove by all of them myself. I did the title work on all of them. I comped them all myself. I would come up with lists. I would go to auction, right? So it was like I was doing all of that because you have to figure out the system first. So the... But as you're starting that business and you're figuring out the system, you instantly want to start to say, like, what could somebody else be doing? We talk about dollar productive hours a lot in business as you get higher up, right? Like the if you're a business owner, you should be doing the thousand dollar an hour tasks, the five thousand dollar an hour tasks, not the 10 or the 20. But when you're first starting a business, you're going to do them all. Now, one, you have to do them all. So you become the best at it. So when you go train the people that are replacing you. Like when I go train the drivers, the people who drive the houses and knock on doors and talk to people that are in foreclosure, that's not a comfortable conversation. But if I've done it a thousand times, I can t- teach the people how to do it. So at the beginning, you're doing it, but then you can also start to take notes and start to create your own kind of manual with how it's going to work. So one of the things I love using is like Screencast-O-Matic, right? You record your, your, your computer screen. There's lots of the software out there. But I started getting to the point where every time I did something, I would record a screencast and talk about it while I was doing it. When I was turning on insurance, I would turn on screencast and I'd start going, all right, I'm going to turn on insurance now. I'm, I'm actually Googling the city and saying like city of clean electrical. I'm doing this. I'm going to call. I record the conversation when I'm going through it. Oh, I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn on utility. I'm going to turn on insurance. I'm going to find a landscape. Oh, I need to find a plumber. Anytime I started doing anything, I would turn on the screencast and record it as I was doing it because that was a task that I knew I was doing. But I wanted, but I was hoping someone else could do it someday. And it only takes an extra minute or two to turn on the screen recorder and then save it properly after. So then I started this giant spreadsheet 
And they would say that anything I was doing, it would be like a link to, oh, this was part of listing a house for sale. Here's the, here's the video. Here's this. So then you can start to really piece together, oh, these are all the different stuff I do in my business. And then you can start to have people do different things. So that a big part of it was recording processes and coming up with processes. Another part was building software this time. I was just trying to invest long-term in software that was like, hey, organization, like spreadsheets is a great way to organize things. The, at the same time, there's great technology now with Google Sheets and things like that where multiple people can edit a spreadsheet at the same time. That was like game-changing stuff when you could have one spreadsheet where somebody could be fixing one column and somebody else could be responsible for another column. Like we started doing like software and things to, to go along with that where you could say, hey, every time I actually turn on utilities here, it sends an email over here. Every time I buy a house, it actually sends an email to the investor and sends an email to the utility company. So yeah, it, it is with a lot of intention, but anytime, I think people, when they first get started, they like driving the houses isn't the fun part. And they, they, they think about how they cannot wait to have an assistant. Some of my mistakes with my first assistants is I would hire them without having enough for them to do. So you'd have like, you'd hire an assistant their first day, they'd be really busy. And then the next day you'd be like, what can you do right now? You're like, I have nothing for you. Um, so before you hire somebody, I tell people, figure out what they're going to do for the whole first week. Like write down all of their tasks that they're going to do for the whole first week. And if you don't have a whole week of tasks, then you just aren't ready yet. And like super commonly, people are like, I need an assistant to do this, 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 because I don't like those tasks, but it's not really enough. And it will take more to train them to do those tasks than it would take to, to do it yourself. Did that answer your question a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, you know, it, as I, I keep thinking about your story too, what you shared at the beginning, but you know, uh, it makes me think about, so in, in a, an experience, an entrepreneur, is excited. They're trying to build something, right? And mm-hmm. your experience at the beginning, it's going well that first time you're doing it. And it's really easy to be caught up in the excitement of what you're doing and what you're building. And, you know, you don't realize that uh, now your wife was helping you, but you don't realize maybe the people around you aren't having that same experience, but you're so laser focused. It's so energizing. It's so exciting. So you're just spending all your time. And guess what? To your point, now, thankfully, you guys lost it all and it forced you to reevaluate. Some people don't lose it all. And I'd say don't have the, the benefit of having a, a trial, a significant trial that helps them reevaluate. Not that you're excited to lose it all, but sometimes they just stay in that mentality. They're just building, building, building. I remember listening to an episode of a, a different podcast and they were talking to this guy who built this huge company. He said, you know what I had to do? I had to tell my family, I'm sorry, it's going to take me five years to build this. You're not going to see me for five years, but it's going to be worth it. And I remember sitting there thinking, that's terrible. What a terrible mentality. What a terrible way to think and to just show up to your family and say, you're not going to see me. See you later. But my point is, it's really easy to get caught in that as you're building. And as Aaron, as you're building this massive company, the excitement, the joy that's coming from that. Talk to our listeners now that are in that experience. They're building something. It's so awesome. It's working, whatever it is. Give them advice on how to be cautious of where that can take you mentally and what that can do and give them some awareness of what they need to pause and start thinking about before it just overtakes their life. Yeah, that's, it's a great question and some great points. You know, they, they talk a lot about like knowing your why. I mean, a lot of people have books about it and things like that, but knowing why you're doing it. When I first quit my job, my why was, Oh my God, my wife is working nights at the casino. I was working her so hard because I couldn't provide for my family that my second baby was born early. She's in an incubator in the NICU. And is she going to survive? Hmm. So my first why was like, 
I just need to provide better for my family. Well, ego took over like a year or two later. And instead of focusing on that, why I was like, I'm, how much money am I going to make? How cool am I going to get? How much, how much prestige am I going to get? Who's making more money? My wife or me? It was a fine line to be like successful and then all of a sudden get caught up in it. And I was not prepared for that. I didn't know anybody that was doing that. And so as you start to get successful, one big thing you want to do is find other people that are successful. They do exist. I didn't know anybody else like that in my area, but they do exist. And sometimes you have to look all over the U.S. to find them. But you have to start to find mentors that have been there because, you know, some entrepreneurs, it's going to take a long time to get that success. And that's a normal thing. And you will get there. And others, you've had more success than you should have so far. And it's really easy to get caught up and think that's forever. But you want to find people that are also successful that can help guide you. I wish I would have had people to help guide me. Every time I I would make a little bit more money, I would hire somebody else because I wasn't thinking about that why. The guy that gave you this, that said, hey, I'm going to quit my, I'm going to stop seeing my family for five years to build this awesome business. Maybe he has a $200 million business right now. Right. So the, and I, and my wife and I have even talked about that. Like if I just did, if I was working all the time and only focused on that and we didn't do any of the family stuff, my business could probably be two or three times greater for me, for my why that's not what I want. This time it was like, Hey, I'd love to build it as big as we can with our family first lifestyle. Right. And now we have the, now we have enough like rentals and like horizontal income, we call it, that my family's okay. And people are like, well, why are you still working now? It's like, well, the next goal is that I have four kids that all of them, there's enough assets that they're okay for the rest of their lives. I don't want anybody to go through that, you know, the, the pain from before, but now that why is different. So the beyond like those needs, like to make a $300 million company, the only goal would be so you could give a bunch away or make big impact in the world or things like that. But really stay focused on why you want to build your business so big and what you're going to do when it gets big. Uh, because it is not, I learned that it was definitely not worth losing my family over. And if I ha- if I was going to pick at the end of it, would I pick one or the other? It's really easy for us to say that won't be me or I would never put my family before my business. I would never put myself in a bad situation. But for me, that just wasn't the case. Like I thought I was, I thought I was insulated and I would never put my family at risk. That I would never make bad decisions. That just simply wasn't true. And so focusing on your why, focusing on, on why to get there, you could build a million dollar business, you could build a hundred thousand dollar a year business, you could build a $10 million a year business. All of that is a cost. So you have to figure out what you're willing to do with that. It, like if your family was stoked and they're like, dude, no, you want it. We need you to have a $300 million business because this is our goal. So go work and come back and see us. Maybe that's the thing, but I can see most people saying like, we would, you know, my kids say the most, they just rather see me, right? They my kids think I work too much when I hardly work, right? I work from home. They see me all the time. I work way less than everybody else. We take them all over the world pre-COVID and post-COVID. We did our RV trip and some other stuff. But they still, like, they get to see me, you know, every day for breakfast, every day for lunch, every day for dinner, several times. And they think I work too much. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody out there that's gone for 12 hours a day at an office, you better believe your kids think you work too much too. And I, I think about the 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 contrast between my first two kids being raised when I was traveling 40, 50% of the time I was gone overnight, was gone all the time traveling for, for corporate work. And now I work from home and my daughter who's never known me except from really, uh, well, especially my new son, but they, they don't, you know, she looks and goes, daddy, I wish you didn't have to work. <laughs> 
you know, yeah. like trying to, and trying to be careful how you respond to that comment. Because yeah. it's easy to say, well, it's because of all these things. But, you know, I think so much of it is <clears throat> finding finding the work that allows you to do what you were made for. A lot of times we are, are what becomes the money and how much money. And, and I'm my mindset has always been too small and what's uh, what I could accomplish with money. Mm-hmm. And that's changing as I'm around people who have been wildly successful and still doing awesome things with their life. But... I think it's important to understand uh, what it is. And I think your story is a perfect example of like the big rocks, right? The, the Stephen Covey, the, you know, you got to put your big rocks first. Like you are rebuilt, you've rebuilt your life this round and saying, yeah, I can fit a lot into this tank. Uh, it, it, and so, but I'm going to put the big rocks of my family and my marriage in the tank first. So there's plenty of room for them. And then I'm going to fill in the cracks and I'm going to build a really awesome, successful business within these boundaries. And it's just so easy to sacrifice that. But I mean, I think that's what I see the clearest is in your rebirth and your re your second round uh, of successes. You've just, you're still, you're still trucking away and doing some pretty amazing things and you're accomplishing high success, but you've just said, Hey, but this is the way I'm going to do it. Your target isn't, I've got to make this much money. Your target is I'm going to build a big successful business around these guidelines. And uh, that's respectful. And, and yet again, you better count the cost of what you're trying to build before you build it. Yeah. The the and during the, this more recent time, I was still having to fly to Texas every month by myself. You know, in the first six months it was as cheap of a flight as I could and the cheapest hotels I could and the cheapest food I could. It was like still struggling. And even those time part of the reason we live in Austin now is my whole business became in Austin. And I was and I was still having to fly a couple times a month. And now that now we all moved to Austin, so now I don't have to fly for work anymore, hardly ever. But I was willing to when we had to. And the family was willing to when we had to, because also when I came back it was all about them, right? So the there's there's pros and cons. If you do, if we are if you do have to travel for work a lot to go make it happen, um, you know, do it. But when you come back, be like all in, because remember they've they've had like a week without you, and it takes a little while to get back into that. Yeah, you absolutely have to do what you have to do, and and the, my story has been I've tried, I've actually tried twice to do my own thing and work remotely, and it got to a point where it's like, oh crap, we don't have enough money. I've, the basics aren't here. I got to go back and grind again and figure it out and look for another chance. So, yeah, mine is not near as extreme as what you've gone through, but in in a very similar rhythm uh, of that and. It is, but being willing and persevere and, and, and go. And I think, man, your your story is inspiring because you you have redone it and you've done it in a way that I think a lot of successful people could could learn a lot from you and in, in what you've done this time. And yeah. I love to, Aaron, what you shared. You know, so three things that I wrote down. A great question that I don't think I've ever asked myself, but a question of, okay, I, I wanna grow this big. Why do I want to do that? But the the question that stuck out to me is what am I gonna do when it gets big? And I'm going to be thinking about that because that's honestly never a question that I've asked myself other than, well, I think I'll slow down. I don't know. You know, I'm trying to just build and all I am is focus on building. Well, what happens when I get there? So that was really helpful. I just want to point that out again. The second one that just your story kind of leads to is a question that I'm going to ask myself too is, do I have to work this much? You know, even as someone who is really sensitive to how many hours I am working, you, for example, are, are someone who has said, Okay, I'm going to get up at four. I'm going to be done at eight, whatever, you know, for that time period. And, and then I'm going to go spend time with my family. And a lot of people would say, well, that doesn't seem right. 
You know, there's no way you can accomplish what you're doing in four hours or whatever it might be. Or there's the other person that says, well, no, I mean, I need to work eight hours. What do you mean? That's not a full day's work. I need to be here for eight hours. And there's so much focus on just the, the number of hours that are spent, not the output. That's actually the result of the hours that you're spending. And so I think that's really helpful for agents in any business owner that's listening. Do I need to be working this many hours? Right. And there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of fat. I'm sure, Aaron, that you trimmed off of the time that you were spending. Now you can focus and build big. So I love that. But finally, and ultimately, what I really love that stood out to me because I, 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 about two years ago, I started asking my friends who were successful business owners and I would say, Hey, tell me what, what's your purpose in business? They'd share it with me and I'd say, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Then, what was really fascinating was then I started going to their spouse, whether their husband or their wife, and I would say, hey, I'm just curious, what do you think about his businesses? What do you think about her business? And, mm. and here's what they would say, that all three, uh, they would always say literally three things. I love that they get to do what they want to do. I love what it affords our family, but I miss spending time with them. And mm. I went back and I shared that with my friends and had some really honest conversations. Then, most importantly, I went home with my wife and I said, my wife's name is Rachel. I said, you know, Rachel, uh, it struck me that I've never really asked you if you want the same thing that I want for this business. If you're okay with what I think this might take, you know, it's going to take changes. Who knows what happens? But this is the cost I think that could be incurred by trying to do what we want to do. Is that what you want? Are you on board with that? What do we want to build? And I heard that, Aaron. And the second time as you're building it, talking to the family, talking to your wife, hey, what do we want to do? Are we okay with this cost? Right. And I do think that the entrepreneur in so many ways just has this vision, which is awesome. You need that. But they have this vision and it's kind of like nobody can get in my way. So, hey, sorry, family. This is what I got to do. And there's just no stopping to say, well, wait a minute. Are you okay that this is what I have to do? Or what if it takes twice as long? Are you okay with that? But I guess when I get to be home, what do you all want? And I heard that in your story, Aaron, and uh, just have a lot of respect for that. So just wanted to point those out as a good reminder for all of us as well. Yeah. Thank the, we hear it a lot from people that are like, hey, I'm doing really, really well financially right now, but my wife is still nagging me. Or I, I I thought that once we had, like we were so broke, and now that we have money and we can pay for everything, I thought that was going to solve it all. I thought it was going to be okay. And that's that example of like having that, of needing that other part of the conversation where they're like, you know, yes, I did want us to be able to pay our mortgage without stressing, but I don't need us to make five, but I don't, but now that we can, I would rather you work 20 or 30 or, or 40. Some of those guys are still working, you know, all day long, every single day. Right. So it's a 60 to 80, the crazy amount. And they're like, yes, I'm super glad we, we can pay our mortgage now. And they're like, well, I don't know why they're so unhappy. I'm making so much money now. They can go buy whatever they want. And they go, I don't care if I can buy whatever I want. I want you. I want that time. And the, and maybe sometimes even as men, we're like, maybe we don't feel worthy of that. Maybe there's some other weird things that go on with that of going like, I don't believe you. I think you'd want more money instead of hanging out with me. You know, another thing I want to add in there that was part of our jump. So around that 2015 time, my dad died and he died early. He was 64, 65 years old. It was the year he was supposed to retire, right? And, the, and he was my best friend. He was my first investor. He was everything there. And when my dad died, it also really changed a lot of the way that we saw that life. So one, we had lost everything and we hadn't quite gotten it back yet. Right. My, it was really sad that my first house that I got to buy in Texas, my dad didn't get to be my first investment partner 
anymore. It was really just from that line of credit that we kind of had because he had one before, right? And when he passed away, the bank kind of felt bad for me, right? The, uh, but I was thinking that was the year he was supposed to retire. He was supposed to go to Hawaii for three months. Like the month after he died was the time that they were supposed to go out there. And he was so excited. They would go to Hawaii every year and they were extending it every time. And now he was going to finish building. So one of the reasons he didn't retire is he didn't have the same like long-term wealth thing set up, right? He was a, a vertical income type guy. He was a, ho- was a home builder, amazing home builder. But it also helped my wife and I go like, oh, tomorrow isn't promised. So one of the reasons people should ask themselves, what are you going to do when you're super rich? Right. I'm going to go travel all the time. Right. I'm going to take my family over here. We're going to go hit this bucket list things we do with with my family and with my wife. Our bucket list is way less about someday and way more about like which ones are we going to do this year? And usually, I mean, beginning of 2020, before everything went crazy, once a month, it would be like, so what bucket list are we going to do this month? What bucket list are we going to do this month? Because I might, who knows, right? Tomorrow isn't promised no matter what. We see so many examples of, whoa, car wreck, plane crash, cancer, crazy stuff. The And so do it now. We might be broke next month, right? Something might happen where you go out of business. So it's not just like live for today because tomorrow isn't promised financially, but it's not promised everything else. So that was also what really jumped into our mindset of like, we're going to go live these experiences now because we don't know if, if we're going to have the financial ability. We don't know if we're going to be around who knows what's going to happen. Let's scratch as much off our list as we can. And when 2020 hit and we could no longer travel, right? My family loves traveling. It's a big part of what we do. We also got to go like, wow, like we're so glad that we went to all those countries the last few years and all these different things, because from now on, it might be different to travel to those countries. Some of those countries might be closed for a while because of their, and so it was getting to see in real time, some of the benefit of like tomorrow isn't promised. Let's go do it now. I guess like famous buildings in Paris that have now burnt down or or like there's things that happen where you're like, well, I can't actually go do that now the someday. So anyway, focusing to with that, why is going, especially if you're working so much, right? Getting those big experiences with the family that says, let's go do, let's go check a lot of these boxes now too. Like asking everybody in the family, like what's a big goal we can do this year. One of the daughters, like they want to go hot air balloon riding. Cool. That's actually not that much money. doesn't take too much effort. And, but it's just about getting it on the list and taking action and getting to ask them like, what's your big thing to do this year? Like hot air balloon ride. Cool. We can go, we can schedule that right now. We can be out there next month. We can accomplish this because so much of the time when we live, it doesn't quite work out like that. Hmm. And that's so good too, Aaron. Uh, I've got a question for you, but a comment on that. I think a lot of people listening might also say, well, good, Aaron, I'm glad you get the chance to do that. Like, good for you. You built a big business. So of course you can go do that. Right. But that's not my life. And let me just challenge the people that say that that wasn't Aaron's life when he started it either. Right. Mm-hmm. This, we, we, we uh, tell ourselves that it's not possible. And so then it's not, if you don't think that you can do it, then you're never going to take action in a way that's going to allow you to do that. When Aaron built his business the first time, he wasn't working from four to eight. He was working probably long, long hours flying away from his family, doing all that stuff. And you probably, Aaron, I don't know, but I imagine if if I said to you at that time, hey, do you know you can do this from four to 8 a.m. and and just spend time with your family and travel? You probably said, that's not possible, right? And so there's right. so much doubt that we lead with. And so Anyone that listened and heard what he said, well, that's good. I'm so glad you could do it. And your immediate thought was, well, that's not my life. 
get somehow get rid of that thought. Move that out of your mind and think, no, that it's not your life right now, but it can be. If you put the things in place, if you take the action that you need to take, if you learn what you need to learn, that can 100% be your life. You absolutely have the opportunity. One of the things that I'm always struck by, in all honesty, and this is not false humility, is the amount of people around me that are, let's say in the real estate world, that are genuinely significantly smarter than I am, but yet their business is not as big or they, whatever is going on, right? They're running around crazy, whatever it is. It's not about your intelligence necessarily. It's not about excuse me, who do you know and, and how much do you know and all of that. It's really about just your willingness to believe that these things are possible. And if you believe it's possible, then just the willingness to figure out how to get it done. And a lot of times we're just going to doubt ourselves. So I just, I think that was a great point, Aaron. But I do want to ask because I, this is, as I hear you talk about it, it's something again that I want to aspire to. But as you have spent more time with your family and the culture of your family has grown significantly, how has that impacted the culture of your business? Yeah, business culture and family culture. And right before the, the question, the, the people are looking at that list of the 10, 20 things and they go, I can't start doing that now. I need to wait till I make a lot of money. Just look really close at the list because there's probably one thing you can do this year. When we first started traveling, we weren't staying in expensive places. It was with, you know, company cards and credit card points. And we would Airbnb at our house in California and we would wait till somebody booked our house. And when somebody would book our house to go stay in it, that would essentially pay for our trip for where we we're going to go somewhere else. Now it's a little awkward to Airbnb your own house. It's a little awkward to like leave your house to somebody else goes and stays there. But there was, it was intentional to create some of those extra things. It is much easier now. Financially today, I'm, I'm doing much, much better than I was four or five years ago. But when we first wrote the book and started that journey, we were not making 10000 bucks a month, right? And I know there's a lot of people out there going, you have four kids making 10000 bucks a month and you traveled the world? Yes, there's some hacks around that. And it's about being intentional and going like, I cannot wait till I get to fly everybody business class to Africa. But right now, no, it's, it's going to be a Southwest to somewhere close so we can knock one of those off. Family culture and company culture is um, a lot of people when they come to work for me or they apply to work for me, they reach out. It is because they say, we see what you're doing with your life and we want to have the same life. We want to have the same life with our kids. We want to have the same, the, the same kind of journey. We tell everybody that works for us, they have unlimited vacation time, right? As long as they get, they get their job done, but they have unlimited vacation time. More often than not, I have to encourage them to take it. I have to say, hey, you've been working too hard. You need to go take a week off. You need to go take two weeks off. I can see you're getting burnt out. You're needing to see that. On our Zoom calls, it is super common to see. Like, I'm super surprised that none of my kids have walked in during this interview. <laughs> like, almost always they're on interviews during our business calls. It's always like, people are like, okay, I need to do this, but I have to go pick up my kid today. I'm taking my kid to lunch. It is totally acceptable and normal inside our business. That it's a family first environment and the, and that we got to take care of what we need to, to take care of. There will never be a, Hey, um, you know, you can't go to your kid's school today or you can't go to that soccer game or you can't go to that baseball game. It's always like, make sure you go to the baseball game, uh, before you, you know, make sure you don't miss the baseball game because that's the stuff that actually matters. So the, the idea of, uh, and I think the biggest part of our culture is a family first and a tomorrow isn't promised. The, I haven't done a good job of it this year of sitting down with everybody to go over their personal goals 
because it is a little bit weirder right now when it feels a little uncertain about what we can accomplish this year. Now, maybe that's just an excuse and it's time to sit down with everybody. But usually at the beginning of every year, I sit down and go like, what are your goals for the year with all of my employees? And it has nothing to do with the business goals. It's like, you know, some people want to buy a house. Some people want to go on a vacation. And it's about me then trying to come up with a plan to help them accomplish that goal. Some want to be business owners. Some want to set other, other things aside. And so two sides of the culture is a family first, tomorrow isn't promised culture. But then also trying to say, live the best life you can and letting people know. And I'll let the people that work for me know, like, if the best fit for you is that you're going to run your own business someday, like, I'm going to help you get there. If the best job for you isn't within my business, let me help you get to the point and get you that job with somebody else where you deserve it. And if the staying with us is the best point, the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a step in somebody's journey uh, in that relationship. But yeah, it's, it's always amazing and fun when the kids get to jump on the calls. It's always funny every time somebody apologizes for a dog barking or a kid coming in. And we always just have to say, you don't have to say sorry. We still like year, a year later now of the zoom lifestyle. We still have people are always saying, Oh, sorry. My kids came in even when we're like, that's been, like that forever around here. So it's uh, your personal lifestyle, your personal culture will wear off on your business, positive or negative. Who you are on a personal level, the if you're a happy-go-lucky guy all the time, you're going to be that happy-go-lucky leader. When COVID hit, like fear is contagious, but so is leadership. And one of the things that I've had to tell my managers and my leaders is like when times are hectic, last week when Texas was all frozen and all of our residents were like, I have no electricity. I have no plumbing. I have no anything. Leadership is what's contagious and telling everybody, Hey, it's going to be okay. And this is how we're going to do it. And being strong. I do that in my personal life and it rubs off in business as well. Hmm. And that's so good too. I mean, when you're obsessed with the end goal, which is money, you know, we talked about that when you're obsessed with the end goal, which is money, then you're not going to care for your people as well. You're certainly not going to, I imagine a person can't be uh, deeply obsessed with making money in their job and then come home and be so consumed by just being open and gentle and caring and understanding their children and their spouse, right? Like, it, it, I don't know that you could wear those hats, wear both hats in the same time at the same day. That's difficult. But if you, again, Aaron is an example, but if you can say, man, but I might, my first responsibility, you know, your business can get somebody else at the end of the day. Your family can't. Right. So if you come in and you, Aaron says, man, my, my primary focus is my wife. I'm going to invest in my kids. I'm going to spend time with them. I want to understand what they need and what they love and what they want to do and what makes them tick. Then I'm going to invest myself into them. That clearly then plays out to your business. Well, I really want to understand my employees. What are they aiming for? How can I help them? How can I serve them? And that, that understanding of being a servant leader in your home, being a servant leader in your business. And, and I think that that inspires people. I love that you said fear is contagious, but so is leadership. That inspires people to aim for something more that inspires them to feel and know that you genuinely care. And the truth is, if I'm going to run through a wall for somebody, it's going to be someone that I know really genuinely cares about me and what I'm trying to do and says, hey, you need to go through that wall. And I can think they're telling me to go through that wall because it's going to be the best thing for me because they know what I'm hoping to do. Right. And that's the way that you produce these people that are going to work so hard. So, uh, Aaron, I love that. I genuinely love that, man. What, uh, I, I, I don't want to wrap up. I would love for us to keep talking, but give us what's for any of our listeners, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given that you can share? And then I want to tell people how they can learn more about you and from you. But what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. The, I've, I've learned more recently that entrepreneurs are unique people. Right. So it's like 
bipolar, ADHD, totally normal for entrepreneurs to get really driven and manic and focused at some time and forget about everything else and then have to come back out of it. And being aware of when you're in that like manic growth, like phase, like it's like, it's all like almost too selfish type things. Like it's just a being aware of that. You go into these different phases and that's, that's who you are. Um, and like the up and down, like excites entrepreneurs, like normal people don't get excited with growth and failure and growth and failure. And most entrepreneurs, like we, we like hate it, but we thrive in it. And so it's really being aware of, uh, of that, that there's this like extra condition that sometimes we're thriving and sometimes we're not. And man, it can be a good or a bad thing. The, you know, being like ADHD can be a good or a bad thing. So there's a big part about harnessing your superpowers. And figuring out what are things that there are a lot of skills that we have as entrepreneurs that if we if we have them under control, they're strengths. And if we let them get away from us, they're weaknesses. If you're going to go work really hard, that's a strength. If you're going to work so hard that you ignore your family for a week, that's a weakness. There's a fine line in that. So like I had I had somebody tell me once I need to run my stuff at like 90 percent. Like the vault, he's like, turn your volume to like 80 or 90 percent, because at 100 percent, you go too far in this way. And you forget about everything else. Like Elon Musk is like a hundred percent type guy, right? Like that's how you actually go to Mars. I don't need to go to Mars. I can be at 80, 90, I can, I can be at 80, 90%. I can have that balance. You know, the, the last piece of, of the good advice, I'm in a group called front row dads. It's really, everyone says my family's first and they care that the most. We don't always act like that. I don't act like it all the time. I, I wish I was a perfect at that. I want to be perfect at that. When I sent you my bio, it's like my first thing is I'm a husband and I'm a father of four. Like Aaron's a husband and a father of four. I'm not a businessman with a family. I'm a family man with a business. The And uh, the group of front row dads, that was the change. that the, the, We talk about that a lot, right? It's not businessmen with families. It's family guys with businesses. There's little things that you can do in your mentality to like make the, th- the goals that you want be a little forward. I'm not perfect at family first. I'm better than I've ever been at it. And I, and I want to continue to get better. So even just the ways that you introduce yourselves, Hey, what do you do? Hey, I'm a husband and a father, right? The, if you're going to change one little thing as an entrepreneur, if if you're like, Hey, yes, my family is the most important. My why is my most important. Whatever your why is, maybe it's not family. Maybe it's, maybe it's, I want to get water to everybody in the world. Somebody says, Hey, what do you do? Well, I'm really hoping someday that, that I get water to everybody in the world. The way that I do is I run this other business. So whenever you figure out what your why is and somebody says, hey, Aaron, what do you do? Your why should be what you do. And then how you get there can be the next part of that. Because comp- people aren't used to like, wait, you want to change the world? You know, the yes, the, like, what's your why? Oh, I'm trying to bring world peace. Like that could be literal. And then here's how we get there. People can find me all sorts of different ways out there. So the, I love Instagram right now. I, do, I try to put most of my Instagram type content is working efficiently in business and real estate related. I've got a podcast called Real Estate Rockstars where we interview just the best real estate agents uh, in the U.S. It's the largest podcast for real estate agents out there. We get like 200,000 listens uh, per podcast that comes out. It's pretty uh, pretty awesome. It's a fun way for me to get to talk and meet with people like you, Garrett, and a lot of other superstars where we talk about real estate and the real estate market. Our book, The 5-Hour School Week, any way you spell 5-Hour School Week, you'll find it. If you are into homeschool at all, my wife's Instagram page it has blown up through COVID. Our book sales have gone through the roof through COVID. And she is truly just brilliant and inspirational. So if you are maybe just questioning a little bit about education, 
doesn't have to be homeschooled. This has to be like, hey, I don't quite like the fact that my kids are home right now at a desk for eight hours a day. Could there be a better way? If you're just kind of curious about the options out there, all she does is try to show people all the different options out there. So that's uh, at five hour school week using just the number five on Instagram. If you're interested in that at all, you will be blown away with the content that she provides. She's way smarter than me. I, uh, I, I, if I could tell anybody anything, it'd be go follow her and maybe you'll you'll be able to do better in your business in your life. I don't respect a man that can't marry up, Aaron. So yes. I respect you. I respect Mark. So the, 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 the best hustle I ever pulled off for sure. <laughs> there you go. Well, Aaron, man, thank you so much. Genuinely. Uh, what a, a pleasure it was to have you so much to learn from you. And not again, just, yes, I took away business principles and all those things. And that's super important. But more than anything to me, it just reiterates, uh, this is how I want to live my life. I want to really focus on, caring about my family, being present with them, loving them, serving them well, and being a family man that happens to own a business. I love the way you put that. So Aaron, thank you for your time, brother. I genuinely appreciate you sharing with us and with our listeners today. It was uh, impactful and and very, very helpful and eye-opening. So thanks for your openness and your vulnerability, Aaron. Yeah. Garrett, Mark, that was a ton of fun, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate you, man. Again. So listeners, if you're burnt out from the work you've been doing, discouraged by the results you've been receiving, or just want more time in your life for the ones you love, keep showing up so we can inspire you to find and pursue your way. Till next time. Hey everyone, this is Garrett Maroon jumping on again to say thank you for listening to the show. I hope you love this week's episode. And if you did, we need your help. Please subscribe, rate, and most importantly, send this to a friend that you think may be encouraged by it. And if you want to learn more about us, visit www.businessbyreferral.co and we would love to connect with you there. Thanks again for your support and we will see you next week.